0: I'm just going to speak straight from the Word of God. Isaiah chapter 58 and uh, verse um, 6 to 12. So I'm reading from the New Living Translation. No, this is the kind of fasting I want. Free those who are wrongly imprisoned. Lighten the burden of those who work for you. Let the oppressed go free and remove the chains that bind people. Share your food With the hungry, and give shelter to the homeless. Give clothes to those who need them, and do not hide from relatives who need your help. Then your salvation will come like the dawn, and your wounds will heal quickly. Your godliness will lead you forward, and the glory of the Lord will protect you from behind. Then, when you call, the Lord will answer, Yes, I am here. He will quickly reply, Remove the heavy yoke. of oppression. Stop pointing your finger and, and spreading vicious rumors. Feed the hungry and help those in trouble. Then your light will shine out from the darkness, and the darkness around you will be your strength. Um, the Lord will guide you continually, giving you water when you are dry and restoring your strength. He will be like a well-watered garden, like ever-flowing spring. Some of you will rebuild the deserted ruins of your cities. Then you will be known... As the rebuilder of walls and a restorer of homes. So, this passage is taken out of Isaiah from the context of people who were fasting and they were saying, God, how come you're not hearing us? How come we're not seeing any change? We want to be close to you, we want to connect with you, but we're not seeing much happening. And this was the response through Isaiah the prophet. Well, if you want to see change, if you want to know my heart, this is where it's at. There is oppression, there is hunger, there is, there is needs, there is injustice. And he says, if you connect with that, with my heart, then you will see what you're looking for. You will have your prayers answered, you will connect with who I am, and you will begin to have life yourself as you give life to others. This is the heart of God. And so I just wanted to cover it off in, in three areas this morning, because sometimes when we hear... Um, The word social justice, we can think of things like socialism, we can think of political agendas like being politically left or politically right, Um, but actually as we were singing this morning, unto us a child is born and unto us a son is given and the government will be on his shoulders and his name is wonderful counsellor, mighty God, everlasting father and the prince of peace and on his government there will be no end. And this is Christ, and this kingdom is not a political agenda. It is completely, um, it's it's marching to the beat of the drum of God. So it's not about aligning ourselves with what man says in terms of political alignments. It's about aligning with the kingdom of God. So what is this kingdom of God? God has this plan to bring wholeness and restoration to the world through the cross and resurrection of Christ enabling the church's body to be agents of his plan of renewal. So I've got these three points, Uh, Christ, Christ's kingdom, his rule and renewal. That's the first point. Second point, Christ's heart, his mercy and compassion. And number three, Christ's body, and that's our participation. So Christ's kingdom, Christ's heart, Christ's body. We're always central on Christ, yeah? He's our king. It's his kingdom. So Christ's kingdom. Jesus came at a time when the context was politically charged. There was strict organized religion enforced by religious leaders and Roman domination and oppression. There was um, also racial tension with ethnic groups such as the Jews and Samaritans. And Jesus comes in the middle and he's bringing heaven's solution. He's coming to show us and correct us because he's God's come through the law of Moses. He's established all of this in the Old Testament. And all of a sudden, the God's people have added all of this extra political man-made rules to create all of this oppression. And Jesus has to come and he corrects who God is really like. So <clears throat> he comes in and he brings this message. He starts off with John the Baptist, the forerunner, right? Matthew chapter 3, verse 2. Repent of your sins and turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. This kingdom of heaven is a completely new renewal of God on the earth. It is going to come through the cross. Then Jesus preaches the same message. Repent of your sins and turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. It's Matthew 4, verse 17. Then in Luke chapter 9 verse 2, he sends out his 12, and he sent them out to tell everyone about the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Again, this is the message, the kingdom of God. Okay, then Jesus sends out the 72. In um, Luke chapter 10 verse 9, heal the sick and tell them the kingdom of God is near you. Okay, then after Jesus' resurrection... 40 days, it says here in Acts chapter um, 1 verse 3, during the 40 days after he suffered and died, he appeared to the apostles from time to time and he proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive and he talked to them about the kingdom of God. Then the early church started going out with this message. This is from Acts chapter 8 verse 12. Now the people believed Philip's message of good news concerning what? The kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ. As a result, many people were baptized. So what is this kingdom of God? Is this, this, is, is this the same thing that we are to share? Is this, has anything changed from that? When Jesus came, he established, I have come to bring the kingdom of God. He told us to pray what? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your Kingdom come. Your will be done. This is meant to be our daily prayer, pushing forward the kingdom of God. Okay, so what is the kingdom of God? It is Christ's rule and redemption through the cross and resurrection. And most of his teaching was in parables, teaching what the kingdom of God is like. Jesus established what God is like. And what the spirit of the law was. And that is to love God and to love our neighbor as ourselves. He told the Pharisees that they tithed right down to their herbs. Okay? Got some mint. grown a garden of mint. I've got to take 10% of that and give it to God. They did everything. In fact, there was about 630 laws from the laws of Moses. And they added another 1,500 as fence laws around it. They had become so overwhelmed by the system that it became a breeding ground for human pride. He told the Pharisees, you have neglected the weightier matters of the law. What are they? Justice, mercy, and faith. That's Matthew chapter 23, verse 23. So Christ's purpose and mission, it can be found in the character of God. The Bible says, God is love. His purpose is found in John 3.16, which we probably all know, that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever puts their trust in him will not perish, but have eternal life. He didn't come to the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. So this is Christ's kingdom. He came to establish the kingdom of God, is at hand. This glass of water is at hand. I can reach it. I can connect with it. I can hydrate from it. The kingdom of God can seem so far away with so many complex rules and so many things that we have to do that God is going to judge us and we can't get anywhere near God because we feel like he doesn't want to hear from us because we're so ashamed about the things that all the voices and all the things that we've been told but yet Jesus comes to say repent the kingdom of heaven is at hand the time is now and you can reach out and participate it because it's right at hand and he says and I'm telling you to go out and tell others that the kingdom of heaven is at hand it's for you to reach out and grab it's not far away. So, what is this kingdom? It is connected to the heart of Christ. The heart of Christ. This is my second point. So, when Jesus looked out at the crowds, he had compassion on them because he saw they were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. He said this, "I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. What is this compassion? The word compassion is made up of two words. Calm and passion. Calm means with. And passion means suffering. So compassion means to suffer. With others. This is what moved Jesus' heart. This is what would stir him when he saw people. He would feel the heart of God driving him. The Holy Spirit was in his life. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil because God was with him. So, to have compassion is more than empathy. It's an action to help relieve someone's suffering. As we see in the parable of the Good Samaritan, it was the despised Samaritan that poured in the oil and wine, put him on his own donkey and used his own money to take care of his Jewish rival. The Pharisees thought they could be close to God by meticulous law-keeping, fasting, tithing, but they were not in touch with the why of the law. This is what Romans says, or Paul says I see, through Romans chapter 13. It says, Owe not, nothing to anyone except your obligation to love one another. This is the spirit of the law. If you love your neighbor, you ref, you fulfill the requirements of the law, For the commandments say you must not commit adultery, you must not murder, you must not steal, you must not covet. These and other such commandments are summed up in this one commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. So love does no wrong to others. So love fulfills the requirements of God's law. That's in Romans 13, verse 8 to 10. If love is not the motivation, then our religion becomes that breeding ground for pride. We know we have passed from death to life because we love one another, and not just those that love us, as Jesus told us, even our enemies. So God is full of compassion, and that means he feels our sufferings. He saw the groaning of the Israelites when they were in bondage. He feels our pain. He sent Moses as a deliverer, but ultimately he sends Jesus as our deliverer to connect with our suffering. He saw it in a community called Nineveh. He saw 120,000 people living in spiritual darkness, and he said, should I not have compassion on them? And I believe myself personally, there is no pain in our communities he doesn't feel right now. It doesn't matter what the cause of that pain is, our sin or someone else's. Jesus still feels our pain. And he's motivated by compassion. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's still touched with our pain. Paul says this. Actually, I'm going to move into this third part, Christ's body, before I jump into what Paul says. Christ's body... So, we're called to be Christ's body. So, God calls us to be his hands and his feet. To be his hands and his feet, we need to be connected to his heart. How? God calls us to be his children, to be conformed to the image of his son. Essentially, God calls us to be children of God, to become like Christ, to carry that love. How does that happen? He places his Holy Spirit inside us when we believe. He says this, but to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. If we believe in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ for our sin, it says here, this is the authority of God, that all who believed and accepted him, he gave the right To become a child of god you have rights as a child of god and those rights are extensive and an inheritance as well so he's called us to be children of god to become like christ to be his hands and feet connected to his heart and this is not about physical union from human passion or plan it is a birth that comes from god being born again And this is what Paul says. He says this, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints or have power to comprehend or understand with all the saints the width, the length, the depth and height to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And then it goes on to say now, to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that you can ask or think, according to the power that works in you, to him be glory in the church forever. So, Paul's whole focus was that you may have power to understand how high, how wide, how deep, how long is the love of Christ, which is beyond our human understanding, so that you may have the capacity to be filled with what? Some of God? No, all the fullness of God. So that you are able to do exceedingly abundantly above what you can ask or think according to the power that works in you so that God can be glorified through his church. So we're connecting with the love of God, the heart of Jesus being his hands and feet, feeling his heart, feeling his people's pain, being called into the suffering of Christ. Sometimes we like to be comfortable and receive the blessings from God. God, I like... You know, we want blessings. The Bible talks a lot about blessings. But God also wants to share his heart. He wants us to become his children. And he disciplines us and he grows us. And he calls us into works that he's preordained before he even created the world. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10. So I have some examples of different people that have inspired me as I was um, felt the call of God in my life when I was in my early 20s, and I would read some stories, biographies of different people that God has used, and think, man, what, what the heck motivated these people to do what they did? And I look at Jesus, and I, what motivated him when he said, I did not come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. What motivated him to give out so much constantly to the point of shame and humiliation on a cross? I read about a guy called C.T. Stud. <clears throat> he was born into a wealthy family in England. He also represented his country as a cricket player. He was a super silver spoon kind of kid he had everything handed to him fame and fortune but then there was a time when he was confronted with the love of Jesus he wrote this I got down on my knees and I did say thank you to God and right then and there joy and peace came into my soul I knew then what it was to be born again And the Bible, which had been so dry before, became everything. He became a missionary to China, and he gave away his inheritance of 29,000 pounds. This is in the time around about 1900. So I did a bit of calculation with 4% inflation over all those years. Since that time, in today's money, that would be 3,654 pounds which is in new zealand money 7,172 uh, sorry seven million one hundred and 210 so that is a lot of money to just give away yeah but his heart was so overwhelmed by the call of god on his life that he gave that to the kingdom of god and he wrote this poem You might have heard it before. Only one life will soon be passed, and only what's done for Christ will last. Um, Another person, William Wilberforce. Many of you may know of him. He was a British politician between 1784 and 1812. And in his early career as a politician, he gave his life to Christ. And he used his position and skill to fight the slave trade. He fought against the slave trade for 20 years against all odds until the passage of the Slave Trade Act in 1807. He was Christ's hands and feet motivated by Christ's heart in his context with the skills that he had. It's not going to look the same for everybody. Some people have huge inheritance, financial inheritance. Some people have great skill sets at being in the... The, what would they call that place? Um, the House of Lords, the chambers. Um, and for others, there's other gifts. We're all different members of the body of Christ. But we are to be connected to the heart of Christ, each one of us. This is what William Wilberforce said. And if you haven't seen the movie Amazing Grace, I would encourage you to watch it. He says this, and this line is in the movie as well. Africa, your sufferings have engaged and arrested my heart. Your sufferings, no pen can tell and no language impart. He was overcome in his mind with the sufferings of others and he gave 20 years to fight that injustice and and conquered. More recent times... Another man, David Wilkerson, he was a young pastor in Pennsylvania. He came to the point where he said there must be more than this and began to seek God. He came across a magazine which had an article of seven young people who had committed murder. His heart was stirred and he found himself driving to New York every week, four hours there and four hours back. He started engaging with displaced young people and with youth gangs. He found the love of God transform one of the hardest gang leaders, a man by the name of Nicky Cruz. Um, well, I can just gloss over saying this in a real short summary, but when you read the books like *The Cross and the Switchblade*, which, by the way, has had fifty million sales, um, you see the blood, the sweat, the tears. Um, In fact, I was listening to his son talk recently, Gary Wilkerson, and he was talking about, it's really easy to just kind of talk about it, and even in the book, but he says you do not, you cannot capture the sweat equity that went into what he did. The heart of Christ. He set up a youth rehabilitation center where many young people came off drugs through the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And he spoke about weeping on the streets, feeling God's pain. These are people touching the heart of Christ that motivated him, Jesus, to go to the cross all the way. In agony, he was in Gethsemane, emotionally stressed, carrying this burden for you and I. Jackie Pullinger. Another person, another great book called Chasing the Dragon. As a young 20-year-old, she left England to live in the walled city of Kuolong in Hong Kong. It was a place with no sanitary um, sanitation, ruled by triads and gangs and full of opium dens. She was someone Jesus, who, sorry, she said to someone when she got there, Jesus loves you. She realized that she had to be Jesus for them to understand that love. We can't just say, Jesus loves you, and then go back to our warm homes. Yeah? They need to see what is Jesus' love. We are his hands and feet connected to his heart. She discovered the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which is essentially being immersed in the love of God. And she, and she also saw drug addicts freed from addiction, pain-free, and drug lords converted. An incredible story of tenacity and motivation from the heart of Jesus. So reading these stories as a young man, I was very inspired. And um, God, what have you got for me? What's my place? What, where, what, what do I do? I was the piano player at church, and um, <clears throat> thank you. How'd you know? <laughs> Prophetic. <laughs> Annie and I, we came across one girl in Papatoi, so 100 yards from here, so so to speak. Um, and um, she connected through my wife's story of pain, emotional pain, wounded heart, and we found ourselves connecting with her um, almost weekly because she was responding so much to Ani's story and just to us being there, and so we began to get to know her family um, and you know her brother, and they were all staying in this house in Kendedon Ave, and... Um, They welcomed us in, and so we started going every week, visiting, and we saw the effects. Um, I've written here, we saw the effects of drugs, alcohol, fatherlessness, bullying, and violence. There'd be times we'd go in, and there was these couple, the the son um, was in a relationship with a girl. They were both about 14. They would just live in this bedroom, and he would go in, and sometimes he would bash her, black and blue, while we were there. And um, there was like holes over the walls and things thrown around. And it was something, we hadn't seen that. I'd been brought up in like a church where everyone wore suits and ties and I was not used to this, but God was starting to speak to me and like, this is why I came. And... Um, it wasn't long before this girl began to introduce us to some of her friends, um, and we found ourselves connecting with many young people visiting their homes and supporting them with courses in court. Nearly, We found ourselves nearly every spare moment with them. Um, sometimes we'd be going to support them with courses, um, we were, learnt about FGC meetings, and then going into court, and sometimes we'd be putting ourselves on their bowel conditions so that we could um, be be able to connect with them while they had their curfews. Um, And we found ourselves beginning to think about these young people all the time. It was just about everything we could talk about. And um, after a year of this, we realized that God was speaking to us saying, I'm calling you. I am beginning to show you what's right in front of you. And it began to stir our hearts and we realized God was calling us to reach young people in South Auckland. So we, we, we decided to rent out our home in Green Bay and we shifted out to Manarewa. And God began to open doors, send money, all sorts of things. I, I haven't got the time to tell you about the stories. But God's, we began to connect, even in a small way with God's heart. We didn't have any training. We just had God's fire beginning to burn in our spirits. It's like, man, if if Dave can just respond to us being connected and just showing some love, like, wow. We began to realize it was love they were looking for. God's love. And did this girl get saved? Is she here? Is she a Christian today? No. We love them not because they respond to Jesus. We love them because they're worth it. Jesus saw that they were worth it. And he died, why we were still sinners. One of her friends <clears throat> was there at the time, about eight years ago. He's here today. You want to stand up, Hucker? <laughs> and um, he's, he's got an amazing story, and he was one of the friends that she introduced us to. And um, he's had many encounters with Christ. And I remember texting him saying, "And you know, this is about four or five years back, I said, you know, God loves you. And he goes, yeah, I know. I can feel him. You know, the Holy Spirit is at work. It's not our work. We are his hands and feet, but his spirit is with us. It is his work, and we are his hands and feet connected to the heart of Christ. So um, this is the summary. God's mission is the redemption of people through the cross and resurrection of Jesus Christ and his kingdom. We do this by becoming children of God and allowing the Holy Spirit to fill us with his love. God calls us to participate in the release of his kingdom on earth. Every act of obedience is an act of faith that releases the kingdom of heaven on earth. You know, when I pray for people um, in the community, I just say, I just release the kingdom of heaven onto you in Jesus' name. That's often in my prayer. This is what Jesus taught us to do. Tell them the kingdom of heaven is at hand. I have the authority to do that because I'm a child of God, not because I'm a pastor. God calls us to participate in the release of his kingdom on earth. We become his hands and feet motivated by the heart of Christ it, his, it is his love that compels us. So I'm just going to finish with this verse, these verses in Matthew chapter five, verse 13 to 16, and hopefully, hopefully, this can summarise the salt and light series. Your lives are like salt among the people. If, but if you like salt, become bland, how will your saltiness be restored? flavorless salt is good for nothing and will be thrown out and trampled on by others your lives light up the world let others see your light from a distance for how can you hide a city that stands on a hilltop and who would light a lamp and then hide it in an obscure place instead it's placed where everyone in the house can benefit from its light. So don't hide your light. Let it shine brightly before others so that the commendable things that you do will shine as light upon them and then they will give their praise to the Father in heaven. Amen.